The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Discover why critics are calling Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes, the best film of the franchise. What a wonderful day! It's a jaw-dropping spectacle that demands to be seen on the biggest screen possible. I need to go. Hang on. It is our time. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Now playing only in theaters. Tickets on sale now. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. Talk is Jericho. It is the pot of thunder and rock and roll. And I've got the newest member of the House of Black, Brody King, here today. The former Ring of Honor star details his journey to AEW, explains where the idea came for him to join Malachi Black's faction. Uh, Brody talks about his relatively late start in wrestling, what inspired his name and gimmick, and how he's managed to achieve so much success in just seven years. You hear about his training in California, his first PWG show, how he got signed to Ring of Honor, and what his first day at Ring of Honor was really like, since it also happened to be the last day for Cody Rhodes, the Young Bucks, Kenny Omega, Hangman Adam Page, and SCU. Brody's got stories about wrestling in Japan, doing the historic New Japan ROH show at Madison Square Garden, and what really happened with that Enzo and Cass run-in. And he's talking about his different factions, including Villain Enterprises with Marty Skrull and Violence Unlimited with Homicide. Brody's also had a long career in Hollywood as a rigger on movie and TV shows, very interesting, before he gave it up to pursue pro wrestling. He talks about his time on RuPaul's Drag Race, Parks and Recreation, Pirates of the Caribbean, and Spider-Man. Brody's got a metal band, too, called God hate they're still making records and touring you hear about how he works that all in and still manages to spend quality time with his wife and two young kids all right brody king from the house of black makes his talk as jericho debut starting now all right so this is one thing that i've said many times before and i really dig about aew is after being in wwe and, and new japan now here for the last 20 in years i don't really know what's going on in the independent scene so i guess about a month ago or two months ago i saw this one brother just hanging around backstage and i was like well that guy's gotta be in the biz and it was brody king and um of course you've made your aw debut but where was that where, we, where i saw you backstage where were you in your were you, did you live near there where do you live at no i was i think it was either indianapolis or minneapolis that's right because you're an la guy yeah yeah so I, you know i was just getting the the steps prepared coming to hang out yeah. right yeah but that was funny because we'd never met and i didn't really know much about you or your work and obviously now I'm more more in tune with it after, after seeing you a few times but it's cool to me to meet guys that have been wrestling for a while and to kind of hear the story and all that sort of thing so um you definitely look like you belong in the biz thank you <laughs> <laughs> so so tell me kind of how how your journey to get to aw started and how did you get here uh, so I started training um, in 
May of 2014. And then I started wrestling actually in May, uh, July of 2015. Wow. So it's only been six or seven years. Yeah, o- almost seven years. Wow, yeah. Gotcha. So uh, it, it happened pretty quickly. I think I started at the right time. Uh, you know, obviously my, my size and look are more unique, I guess, for right, right now. Absolutely. But, uh, you know, we started when wrestling was blowing up. You know, people weren't just looking to WWE for the only thing. They were looking at PWG, Ring of Honor, uh, New Japan. New right. Japan was really hot at the time. So it's like it was a great time to to start wrestling. Yeah, you know? like pre, pre-COVID, basically, the indie scene, including New Japan, was on fire. Yeah, it was it was blowing up. So uh, I also had, you know, some great trainers. Uh, my main trainer was Joey Chaos at Santino Brothers Wrestling Academy in Los Angeles. It's also where Brian Kendrick ran his school out of. Mm-hmm. So I got to, you know, do some stuff with Brian as well. And uh, at the time, Rocky Romero was also running classes at the Championship Wrestling from Hollywood School, which was much closer to my house than my actual school. Mm-hmm. So like every Wednesday, I would go and train with Rocky. And then every other day, I'd pretty much train at Santino's. And uh, yeah, I mean, wrestling training was just my life for like a year and a half. I didn't see my friends. I didn't see my wife. Like it was crazy. But uh, yeah, from there, I uh, I was on the indies for about... But, but slow down for one second. Okay. So when you started to train, because you mentioned it's only been six or seven years, mm-hmm. what made you decide, like, and I don't even know, how, how old are you now? Uh, I'll be 35 next okay, month. Okay, so it's not something like you decided to do when you were 19. So no. what took you, you know, into your late 20s to decide you wanted to, to do it? Yeah, you so I, I mean, uh, yeah, I guess it is uh, backtracking. Um, so I just kind of have always done whatever i wanted in life i guess Mm -hmm. if there's something i was interested in or something i wanted to do i was just going to do it i've played in punk and hardcore bands my whole life pretty much and uh when i was 27 26 27 uh one of my friends started he didn't really start he met an old wrestler and he was like yeah if you ever want to get in the ring run the ropes like take a bump and my friend colin was like a massive wrestling fan so Mm he's like yeah of course i want to do that uh, I saw photos of him doing that. I was like, hey, how do I do this? And then we both went to a show at Santino's, and then the next day I signed up for wrestling training. And what were you doing prior to that? I know you said you were in bands and stuff, but did you have a day job or anything? Or Yeah, uh, I've been a set lighting technician for movies and TV for oh. 15 years. I've been a union member, yeah. Interesting. Yeah. That's a whole other side of the story then. It's Yeah, I've, I've done a lot of stuff. Uh, I've seen a lot of cool stuff. And yeah. It's funny because to me it's just normal, but like when I tell other people, like, "Whoa, please tell me more about that." Like last night, we were, someone had mentioned there was like a a drag bar restaurant around the corner. I was like, "Oh, that's awesome!" Like, I love going to that stuff. And mm-hmm. they, and I think they thought I was joking at first, and I was like, "Oh, I, I worked on RuPaul's Drag Race for like five years." And they're like, <laughs> nice. "Whoa, you got to lead with that." I was like, uh, "I guess." <laughs> exactly right. <laughs> that's interesting though, because it was coming from that scene. We can go back to your wrestling career in a second, but kind of tell me a little bit about that about that world. And kind of what your job is, because when you do movies and TV, obviously being in front of the camera, but there's always, you know, dozens of cats behind the camera and everyone's very important to the whole team and the whole production happening. So what was your job? Uh, so my job mainly, I was a rigger. So I would come in early, uh, usually 6 a.m. shifts uh, till about 4 to 6 p.m. We would run cable, we would set up the power and lights and everything, and then the production crew would come in and you know, shoot either the next day or that night or whatever was needed. 
my dad did it for 30 years. My grandfather did it for 60 oh, years. Wow. So it was like, you know, passed down to me when I was, when I graduated high school, it was like, I didn't really want to go to college. And my dad was like, well, do you want a job? I was like, oh, I guess. It's your family legacy. Yeah. It was, but, you know, I never really liked it that much. Like, uh -huh. it, it was a great job. It pays well. It's a great way to make a living. Honest work, you know. But I, sure. I just, it just, it wasn't uh, creative enough you for me. You wanted to I be guess. in front of them. Yeah, I wanted, right, I wanted right. a little bit more. What were some of the big productions that you worked on? You said RuPaul's Drag Race. Yeah, so I, I that was like the most live stuff I did. I did Big Brother for a while. Um, I worked on like Pirates of the Caribbean, Spider-Man, like huge, you know, productions. Uh, I was very lucky that my father was like well-respected in the business, which, you know, coming in as, a, as an 18 year old, I was kind of a shithead and like making adult money. And it's like, <laughs> I, I just burned bridges like left and right, like taking days off and not wanting to work as hard as, you know, the old timers there. You didn't know any better. Yeah. yeah but then, you know, when you turn 23, and you're like, wow, I don't have any money and I need to pay rent and I have a girlfriend now. Uh, I better start making up all these things I f***ed up. So, you know, that, that was a good um, learning process for me. And I feel like becoming a wrestler later in life had a lot more advantages than disadvantages. You know, I, obviously people say, you know, your body doesn't hold up as well or whatever. But I feel like mentally I was prepared to be in a world with interesting other adults and, you know, have a more business approach or like a more responsible approach to it instead of you know going out and partying or whatever i think also more respect for kind of what it takes to put together the whole show absolutely right? yeah you know i was talking to to one of the audio guys yesterday on the plane and and i feel like whenever i talk to any of the production guys when they find out what i did for like ever they're like oh wow like i can relate to them and i see how much work goes into this and i know the effort and the you know what they go through to put this on for us so mm -hmm. it's not it's not lost on me at all to to respect their side of it as well so when you did let's say you said pirates of the caribbean and and, and spider-man that sort of thing w would the cast ever like talk relate socialize i mean because some people are cool some people not like how does that how did that work for you yeah so i mean there was people that you know were definitely superstars yeah. or you know they they didn't they just walked like you didn't exist <laughs> but uh a, a lot of the time you know a lot of them are really cool like on Pirates of the Caribbean, we were told like not to talk to Johnny Depp, right. but it was like wasn't because he was an asshole. It's because he would just keep talking to you, and like there'd be times where like he would like try to start conversing with you or like play around with you, and, and you would see like the AD be like, oh, like shoo shoo away. Because he's like, getting sidetracked. Yeah, from his gig, yeah, he wants to play, and, and, <laughs> and he's supposed to be you know making a hundred million dollar movie. <laughs> right, 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 right. But yeah, there, there was a lot of cool people. Um, when I worked on Parks and Recreation, like. Nick Offerman was really awesome, and uh, Amy Poehler was really cool. Like it was, it was fun, fun to be around. You're part of the team. That's really cool. Yeah, it's and, and it's funny because it's like you know you see that in wrestling too, where people you'll see some people that are like in their own world and they just don't mm -hmm. talk to anyone else. But then there's the people that you know that act like everyone's part of the team and, and is very welcoming. I mean, like you on my first day, you pulled me aside, gave me notes, and sure, said right. welcome to the team, and that like you're one of the biggest names here and that's awesome well but like you said though i also understand there is a team that everybody's a part of like a football team or a hockey team obviously you have the you know a football team you've got the tom brady's and the top stars and then you got the guys that play for you know 30 seconds a game but they're just as important so i think it really is the same especially in wrestling and in rock and roll too i mean our crew is just as important as the band in a lot of ways and it's just as important to have a personal relationship with them. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, 
I feel like the people behind the scenes don't get as much respect as they de- deserve, yeah. and they're the ones that make it all happen. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I try, I try to thank them, you know, walking in and out every time. So that's cool, man. Yeah. So that's a cool background. I didn't know that about you. So you, you finally give up this this day job. Was it hard to give up the gig to get into the, the possibility of maybe making it into wrestling? I mean, I officially, like, I'm still not even technically retired from it. <laughs> yeah. uh, I, I officially like with it's called honorable withdrawal where you just kind of like step away. Mm-hmm. I did that last year and like, I probably could have done that a couple years ago, but it just felt like it's such a big part of me that like, it felt like letting go was like wrong. Yeah. I don't know. It, it was just like, that was my job forever. Um, but yeah, it, it was a definitely a weird transition. Mm-hmm. So yeah, when I started wrestling at 27, now I'm, uh, trying to get booked on shows on friday saturday sunday and then go do my day job on monday oh. through friday and so it's like asking my boss for fridays off or mondays off if i'm flying around and they're just like why are you doing this yeah. like you're getting paid a 100 bucks like you could be at work making way more than that and i'm like i just Probably a I, union job yeah with benefits yeah. exactly everything and you know i i'm taking care of my wife i, I own a house and it's just like it seemed ridiculous on paper for especially like guys that have been doing it for 20 plus years they're just like this is what are you doing and then Mm -hmm. it's like just i i think i got something here Mm -hmm. and then for it to all pay off now it's like i got a lot of my union brothers like texting me like i saw you on tv tonight that's awesome like or you know going back and be like yeah i wrestled at madison square garden this week and they're like holy shit that's (laughs) awesome so that's the payoff right yeah yeah but uh yeah you know i did the indies for three years just grinding not sleeping much and then uh i got signed to ring of honor in 2018 Mm -hmm. and spent three years there um meanwhile i was doing new japan as well because there was a connection between ring of honor and new japan right yeah yeah and also you know having rocky as one of my trainers was Mm. was a good foot in the door right uh he did a lot for me he's helped a lot in my career uh he was you know, essential in putting me in contact with Ring of Honor and kind of like guiding me through that process. And, you know, not even just that, but training me was. Sure. Well, it's something, it's something that you mentioned, too, like in when you're talking about 15, 16, 17, when the Indies were very hot. Also, guys were getting smaller. Like we see it here even in AEW. At first, when we started, it was Luchasaurus and Jay Hager were our two big guys yeah. and everyone. And then that, I'm a big guy. And then, you know what I mean? Like then there's all the kind of smaller guys that kind of populate the business now you're obscenely big very big guy so did that help you stand out at the start when you got into the business yeah i mean being tattooed from like my neck to my everywhere throat. stomach yeah. chest everything yeah. uh that you know alone makes you stand out uh but being you know six six also helps a lot mm-hmm. so i think it was uh easy for me to get my foot in the door but then you know i had to also have the goods to back it up you know so I was very appreciative of the the training that I was put through. You know, I, I know a lot of guys go through shorter training periods. They'll have like a, you know, three-month thing. And they're like, all right, now go out there and do mm-hmm. your thing. And it might work for some people. But for me personally, I wanted to be more of a finished product, like coming out. So I spent like a year and a half. And it was like, it was frustrating. And it was like times where I'm like, when can I debut? And my, mm-hmm. my trainer's like, just be patient. And then I'm glad I did because when I finally did, it was like, oh, damn, this guy's good. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal 
and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. What did uh, you figure out about wrestling early on that you didn't think was going to be as hard? Like for like when you get in the business, like some people think, oh, well, I'll just come in. This should be easier. That should be easy. And then you realize, like, oh, my gosh, this is not as easy as I expected. Honestly, not, not much because like I feel like touring and stuff like that really got me prepared for what I was touring with your band. Yeah, getting yeah. into it. So and also, you know, doing union work, I have to call different bosses and kind of like put myself out there. You have to network a lot. So. The networking part of it I had down, making merchandise I had down because of my band. Mm-hmm. Um, traveling was fine. And it's like I'm used to sleeping on a floor <laughs> next to a you know dog piss. So I didn't care. <laughs> so it's like when someone's putting you up in a shitty hotel, you're like, this is awesome. So a lot of it was like I was very prepared for and, you know, is, was almost a step up from what I was used to. And the band is God's hate. Yeah. Right? yeah. So, so you had done a lot of touring with 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 that band well i i had had i'd been in bands prior to that god's hate started like right when i started wrestling training almost gotcha. so they kind of have lived parallel to each mm-hmm. other we had some decent success up until 2018 ish and then uh rest, when when i got signed to ring of honor that was like kind of full time yeah uh so god's hate kind of went to the back burner mm-hmm. but then during quarantine that was kind of like a blessing for that was like well what do we do now we don't have anything to do for a whole year so we wrote a record and it got a lot of praise and now we're doing more with that and with the schedule here at AEW, it's awesome it's like you wrestle wednesday maybe friday and then it's like you got the whole weekend to do whatever you want so it's kind of the perfect uh schedule for for both worlds Is is it a hardcore band yeah yeah gotcha so um you know, in more in the vein of like Hatebreed and uh, oh, right. Madball and Terror and stuff mm-hmm. like that, Agnostic Front. You got uh, the look for it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, it, it kind of uh, breeds a certain yeah. type of human. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you look like a caveman with yeah, tattoos. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But you were touring before that with other bands you mentioned? Yeah. yeah. So uh, I had been on a couple full, full U.S. tours with um, friends' bands and, you know, just like roadieing or. Yeah, like yeah. just, you know, TMing or mm-hmm. doing whatever. Uh, you know, for no money. And you're just like, God, I want to go see the world. Like, I yeah. want to go see the whole United States, which is also, you know, a ridiculous thing to tell your boss. <laughs> it's like, yeah, I'm not going to make any money, but uh, I'll be gone for a month. But there's a certain wanderlust to it, though. You know, I've had the same when I first started as well. It's like you want to get out there and, and do something. And if, if you enjoy what you do, the money will follow. You can never really do anything just for money because that usually leads to not being happy with it. Oh, yeah. Right? Yes, I, yeah, exactly. And that's kind of how I've always lived my life. And, you know, my grandfather was kind of like a con man, I guess. Like he was always like scheming and like moving around. Like my mom would talk about how they moved every state. And like like in the dead of night. In the dead of night, they'd be woken up. It's like, we got to go. And like they'd be moving to a different state the next day. What kind day. of stuff did he do? I don't, I don't know. He's just like, you know, uh, selling weed and grifting and just doing snake oil sales yeah exactly yeah, right. that, like that was him to a t even you know to the day he died was like mm-hmm. he was always scheming on something and it was always like what's he up to and yeah nobody really knew but 
He would, you know, leave for a month and come back. It's like, where you been? He's like, oh, I just been around. You're like, <laughs> so I, I feel like part of that is in my blood to where it's like, I can't just stay in one place mm. and work the same job every day and be fulfilled. So was your first uh, kind of big break Ring of Honor yeah. or MLW? So they kind of happened close to each other. Right. I would say my, my first big break was PWG. Um, oh, wow. So in 2018, February 2018, uh, I had just flown to Ohio to do a show. Uh, it was Sammy Callahan's Pro Wrestling Revolver. And it was a Wednesday. The show was on a Friday. And I get a text from Rick Knox, the referee here at Ring of, or at AEW. And he goes, hey, check your email. And I was like, okay. So I look at my email, and it's an email from PWG. And it says, hey, are you available Friday? We had an injury. Uh, can you come in? It's like, this is like being from Southern California. That was like that my, was the my main goal Like at the time. Yeah. That was the pinnacle of like independent wrestling. You always heard about PWG being sold out like in three minutes and yeah. it was an exclusive club, hard to get in. I mean, I, I as a trainee, I was like in the crowd watching the right. matches. So it's like, yes. like, And I talked to Sammy. He's like, go. And it, so that was cool. I basically landed in Ohio. Was there for two hours. Got back on a plane and flew back to LA. For the show that night or the next night? Yeah, and, wow. and it was just like, all right, so here we are. I wrestled Adam Brooks that night, and it was like, a, it was awesome. You know, I'm billed from Van Nuys, California. It's in Reseda, which is like the next t- town over. And you know, when when the announcer said, you know, from Van Nuys, California, the whole place like erupted. It was like, <laughs> I feel like I was blown up before the match even started. <laughs> right, 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 right. <laughs> but uh, that was like the first big momentum push for me mm-hmm. and then mlw contacted me after that court had me do a lot of stuff that with like bigger names that was really cool mm-hmm. i got to wrestle mvp mm-hmm. um i got to do stuff with like shane strickland me and uh mjf wrestled uh, a couple times there so it's like i got to meet a lot of people there uh, i think i might have met darby there but it, i might have met him before that i can't remember right. but but it was like you know the bigger names on the independence and that's where i started like really socializing and networking with those guys and becoming friends with everyone. You must have had a a pretty natural ability out of the gate to, to be wrestling with those guys after two or three years, you must have taken to wrestling very quickly. Yeah. I mean, the physicality part of it was natural to me, I guess from being, you know, at punk and hardcore shows where they're incredibly physical and like you're jumping off the stage and landing on concrete. So it's like <laughs> yeah. when we were learning how to dive, it was like, yep, I got it. And they're like, what? Like you're the biggest guy here. And it's like, I do a topic on heel over the top rope. And they're like, uh, okay. <laughs> just envision that you're on the stage. Yeah. Off, it's like, right. Wait, I have someone to catch me. This <laughs> yeah, is why, awesome. Why? They're not going to part like the Red Sea. <laughs> well, you know, not all the time. <laughs> yeah, right. I love that too. When, when the guy completely blows the catch, but as soon as you fall and hit the ground, he puts his arm over you. Yeah, you see this one, and then, yeah. like their arm goes down, then they and then, fall. Like, <laughs> the guy goes like, "Get your f-ing hands off me! <laughs> Don't touch me! <laughs> you already missed me." <laughs> so, where did the name uh, Brody? Does that obviously attribute to Bruiser? Yeah. yeah. So, uh, I, I guess when I was picking my wrestling name, it was just like you know, beating your head against the wall. It's hard. Uh, I think I had some stupid names like Maximus King or something <laughs> else. Like, uh, I don't, I don't know. I think my 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 training partner and tag partner Tyler Bateman might have been like, "Why don't you use Brody? Like you look mm-hmm. similar, like you have a similar style." Like, and Brody Lee was also like one of the people that I was watching a lot 
uh, when his independent runs on Chikara and stuff, and then obviously, you know, his stuff in WWE, I thought that he was really awesome. Mm -hmm. um, so both of those was like, yeah, this is a good fit. Like, you know, he was Luke Harper at the time. So right. I was like, all right, take it. <laughs> yeah, let's 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 be Brody King, I guess. And mm -hmm. then I, I, my wrestling trainer, Chaos, did not like it. And I was like, well, this is it. And I feel like I was like one of the first students to tell him that because, you know, it was always like an old school thing where like your trainer kind of gives you your name. And, you know, I'm I'm defiant at, at, at the core. <laughs> yeah, so it was like, you, this is my name. And now he calls it like the, the Brody curse where like a student will be like, this is my name. And it's like ridiculous. Yeah. yeah. And you're like, this is not your name. And they still go with it. And he's like, this is your fault. I'm like, it's not my fault. My, my name is good. <laughs> I, I was like that. My very first match, obviously Chris Jericho, I came up with my original idea was Jack Action which Lance Storm said, that's terrible. So I said, Chris Jericho. But they wanted to call me Cowboy Chris Jericho because it was up in Calgary. Uh, from Casper, Wyoming, Cal uh, Cowboy Chris Jericho. And I'm like, I hate cowboys. I hate country music. <laughs> and I remember my friend who was the veteran was like, well, then just don't do it. And I was like, yeah, I just won't do it. <laughs> and I could just imagine like some guy, like you're the same, your first day of wrestling school or whatever saying, I'm not using this name. If this was like, you know, another time, somebody could shave your eyebrows, kick you out of the class, beat the shit out of you. But for some reason, we got away with it. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> maybe, you know, they saw something and us are like, yeah, ah, they're going to be fine. Whatever. Yeah. Whatever it is. <laughs> Let exactly. me be whoever he wants. Exactly. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. So when you went to Ring of Honor, because I know you've been in a lot of factions, and obviously you're here in one right now with, with Malachi, but... Uh, I think Ring of Honor was it Violence Unlimited. Is that the right one? So we started. A couple other. We started with Villain Enterprises. Villain, so with, who, uh, who was? How, how did that come to be? And who was in that? Marty Scurll and PCO. Gotcha. Were, were the first incarnation of it, and then uh, Flip Gordon joined later ah, on. Okay. That was a huge deal for me. You know, Marty was like one of the biggest wrestlers in the world at the time. Absolutely. And so for him to like message me back, hey, I have this idea. Like, would you be interested? It's like, yeah. He's like, do you want to go on a tour of Australia? I'm like. Yeah. yes yeah, right. so it was just like that was really awesome you know me and pco we got to do some crazy stuff together we won the ring of honor tag titles we won the crockett cup and unbelievable. we won what a comeback and, story for him too right oh it's unbelievable yeah. comeback story and he's like one of the nicest human beings ever i don't know how much only a few interactions with him but always always the nicest guy yeah fellow canadian yeah uh but yeah he's great and he's hilarious like just He's from a completely different era than us, but he's just like riding with the, mm -hmm. these new kids. And it's like one day was really funny. I was like trying to joke with him and then he burned me good. Uh, he was like, oh, I was thinking tonight in the match, maybe I do like the cap capture lariat. And I was like, Carl, you're just going to steal my move like that? Because I'd been doing it for, you know, a year ago. Yeah. Oh, uh, I didn't know you were doing it in uh, 1996 when I did it with Bret Hart. I was like, oh, <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, all right, you can do whatever you want. <laughs> kind of put you, uh, stopped you in your tracks on that one. Yeah, it's like, <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Well played. Were you able to learn from him at all? Not just obviously from the wealth of experience, but the fact that he was, 
you know, pretty much drummed out of the business in a lot of ways and then made this huge comeback to where he's still, you know, signing new contracts to this day. Yeah, I mean, he he had a lot, you know, like you said, from the bottom to the top, kind of he made a lot of mistakes and, and he's aware of them and he would kind of, you know, tell us like, this is what happened. Like, and from those stories, you can definitely learn a lot. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you can also learn a lot from him entering what to do, sometimes what not to do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, maybe it's I'm insane. not going to take a power bomb onto the floor from it's, the ring. It's crazy. I just I watched just... him the other day do a, a, a senton, swan, swanton from the top post onto the apron yeah. and basically take a flat back bump on the floor. I, I was like, what are you doing? One day, so it was after the Crockett Cup. We had three matches that day. He took he took that same move onto the apron, and the padding was kind of missing, so he mm. just landed on steel and Eesh. wood. And afterwards, he was like limping bad, and I was like, "Oh man, is this is this it?" Like, and he was like barely able to get in his room. I kind of like helped him to his room. He was using his, his bag as like a crutch. Yeah. And I was like, "Oh man, I hope he's okay." The next morning, he's like hopping around at breakfast. I'm like, "Dude, you you really aren't human. <laughs> he is like, not human. It is yeah. it's not a gimmick." <laughs> So what did you base your style on? Like, do you do seeing a few of your matches here, but are you more in the PCO mode? Are you in the more in the Brody mode, just beating the shit out of guys? That's kind of what I saw. Yeah. Or do you do both? So when I started, you know, my my school was heavily based in in Lucha as well. Oh, wow. So I got to learn all that. And, you know, being an athletic big man, you kind of want to show that off. So like the first few years it Especially was like in the indies yeah it was like doing unnecessary things just for the sake of doing it but i feel like as i new japan helped a lot with it and so did ring of honor just like refining it like making those moments mean more and like right when to use them you know keep your body more healthy well also too the fact that you're an anomaly being as big as you are it's something that when we first once again bring up luchasaurus again when we first started with AEW, and i was like dude you got to pick your spots and stop doing all this look at the size of you and look at the stuff you're doing that everyone does just beat people up yeah. and do some cool things like that's why i think jake hager was a standout when he first came because he was a big guy who just just was tough yeah and beat guys up and clotheslined them and slammed them and vader splashed them and it was different from everything else that was going on yeah and you know there's a lot to be said for that especially like in a time where there's not a lot of right brawlers or there's not a lot of big guys in general guys, yeah. yeah so it's like when you're believable and it looks like you could whoop someone's ass and you do it's like well that was cool right uh so that's you know i did adapt that style a lot of more of a brawler style but also you know i sprinkle in the athletic stuff of course when when needed and so yeah from villain enterprises we went to violence unlimited that kind of started uh in quarantine and then that was me Chris Dickinson, uh, Homicide, and Tony Deppin. And it was like three guys that like I all I wanted to work with individually. And then like it just kind of worked out to where I it became a group. And mm-hmm. uh again, like, you know, having PCO and Villain Enterprises, now we have Homicide and Violence Limited. And it's like he was at the very first Ring of Honor show, which then he was at this very last final battle. Mm. So hearing his stories and like learning from him was awesome and you know i've always loved just sitting around the the older guys and just listening to what they have to say Mm -hmm. because you know it it could be some ridiculous story but like there's going to be a piece of that that you're like huh i didn't know that or like you could learn from it right so being with him was awesome and and me and chris 
built like a bond and we kind of carried that over to new japan and we were doing a lot of the new japan strong shows here in the u.s as a tag team which is still going now so mm -hmm. from there we've kind of flash forward to now now I'm so, so let's go back to ring of honor though you mentioned like during quarantine violence unlimited started and i know from a couple of the ring of honor dudes that i've spoken to because ring of honor was the one company that really wasn't working at all but they still had you guys under contract and we're still basically paying you yeah so what was that like for you i mean obviously being at home for that much and, and then making money is great but it seems it was almost the beginning of the end of, of ring of honor in retrospect yeah you know I, I think that they took great care of us like i can't complain one bit you know i have two children and a wife you know my son's turning three on sunday and mm. my daughter's one and a half yeah. so it's like my wife was pregnant during quarantine. Uh, my son was two at the time. And it was just like this weird, uncertain time. Yeah. And, and, you know, to get that call from Ring of Honor and be like, stay home. Like, you'll continue getting paid. It's all good. Like, we'll pick up where we left off. Was like a huge sigh of relief. Because mm -hmm. it's like, we don't want to travel. We don't, we don't want to put our families at risk. Like, stuff like that. And it was just like to get that was was awesome but then you know on the on the flip side of it coming out of quarantine it was like kind of a rocky start and then it never really picked up and mm. then it was like you know kind of the the end of ring of honor as we knew it at the time the longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards the longest field goal ever missed also 76 yards why bring this up because knowing your limits matters both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Did you see the writing on the wall and start thinking about different options or because you mentioned final battle and they announced at the time that this will be kind of the end of ring of honor as you know it for you know a few months or whatever it may be when did you start thinking maybe i should think about moving along yeah so i you know i felt like i could i could see the writing on the wall i don't know if a lot of people could because mm -hmm. i feel like a lot of people were kind of surprised by the news which you know if you've been with the company for years maybe it is surprising but, you know, when you see these huge productions and the, and the crowds are just minimal or none, it's like this can't continue. Especially when, and I talked to Jay Lethal about this, when it's owned by a big conglomerate like Sinclair and there's people that are the bean counters that don't really know what Ring of Honor is, don't care. They just know, why are we spending seven figures, eight figures on this and getting, you know, one figure back in revenue? Cut it. Yeah, it, you know. You know the tax write-off is only good for so, for, far, for yeah. so long. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, I don't know exactly what the final decision was or who it was from, but I understand, you know, it sucks and it put a lot of people out of work and hopefully, you know, I know they're rebooting and they're, um, they have a show yeah. mania weekend and, you know, I hope nothing for the best for them because they treated me very well. They, uh, gave me a lot of opportunities that, you know, I wrestled at Madison square garden sold out. It was like, that was a dream moment for a professional wrestler or a musician. Absolutely. So it's like to say that I was able to do that, who knows when I'll be able to say it. Well, the fact again. too that you were able to do that outside of the WWE system. Yeah. T talk a little bit about that because I've never really discussed that with anybody, the whole uh, New Japan Ring of Honor joint show 
in Madison Square Garden, which I was actually going to do against Tanahashi. And then both Tony Khan and Vince McMahon (laughs) asked me not to do it. That's a whole other story. We could do a whole podcast just on that. But I didn't do the show, obviously, but you did. So kind of talk about all that because that's a big, big deal. Yeah. So it it was really interesting. You know, my first day at Ring of Honor was all of the elites last. So it was like a real weird changing wow. of the card. Cody and yeah. Matt and Nick and, yep. and Hangman. All of SCU. Wow. Uh, so it was it was very bizarre. Uh, I have a funny story that, you know, I had my first match at Ring of Honor, and it was kind of a whatever match. And it was supposed to be something that it wasn't, and we kind of got scolded a little bit for it. Like, we gave the other guys too much. Me and PCO are supposed to be monsters. Gotcha. Just run them over. That happens. It's like, well, we, we were yep. just doing what we were told. It's our right. first day. We don't know. Christopher Daniels and BJ Whitmer come up to me. And they're like, hey, if, if that ever happens again, like, please <laughs> right. grab us right. and let us know. I was like, okay, cool. Awesome. So I'm like, yeah, BJ and CD are on my side. That was their last day there. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, it was it was a really weird time. And, and I was put in the position to kind of take those guys place mm-hmm. uh, with villain enterprises. And it was like, that's big shoes to fill. Right. <laughs> so, you know, and I think that the initial sellout of MSG was with the thought that Kenny and the Bucks and you and like all Great these other point. guys are going to be there. All the guys that were in new Japan and ring of honor up yeah. until that date. Right. So it was like, well, we, we better put on a damn good show. Thankfully, it was still sold out. Like the place was packed when we did it. You know, it was rocky. It was up and down. And I feel like it was maybe not what people were expecting. I had a great time. I had my match was awesome. What I had was a, your match. It was a four way tag match. It was um, me and PCO versus the Briscoes versus uh, GOD versus uh, Evil and Sonata. So it was like, you know, all guys that I look up to and being in that ring in that arena was crazy under the new Japan and ring of honor banner was awesome. But then even that match got tainted by the, the weird Enzo and Cass running thing. at That's when all that happened. Yeah. It was, it was like Bubba Ray beating somebody up. Well, it's funny because it's like, People ask me like, "How come you didn't get involved?" I was like, "I didn't know what was happening." Like, did they they kept it a complete secret from you guys? Did, nobody told us anything, and like, PCO just got power bombed outside of the ring. So like, my first thought when the match was over was like, "Make sure he's alive." Right. So I went over to him, got him up, and we start walking out and see like a commotion in the corner, and I couldn't really see who was fighting who. I just saw like the Briscoes and Bully. I was like, "Oh, they're doing something weird over there." So I kind of just shuffled Carl off to the side to make sure he was okay. And then afterwards, people were coming up to me like, why was Enzo and Cass out there? I was like, what are you talking about? And it's like, then I like look on the internet and it's like, what is happening? (laughs) And then it's like asking people like, did you know this was happening? And it was like, to this day, I don't really know the full. And nothing really happened afterwards too. They kind of came in and came out. Yeah. I I feel like it was like so low key that like, no, but like they didn't film it. Like I remember watching the match back you can clearly hear colt cabana who was on commentary being like film away from that and they like cut to the commentator's desk and it was like there was it was really thought it was a shoot yeah like so i I think there was you know whoever was involved didn't really put the proper people in the know uh but that that was a very strange situation and then you know there was this I, i feel like the anticipation of having 
the bigger names and the bigger matches just weren't there. Mm-hmm. You know, Okada and, and and Jay White had an unbelievable match there, but it's not what you were expecting. I feel when like those it, tickets went on yeah, sale. Exactly, you know, Okada and Kenny or something along those lines, for example. I feel like people were already kind of in the well. Let's see what happens, and then mm-hmm. like then they just they had already set their expecta- expectations too high, and it mm-hmm. was just. It wasn't that. It was a, a, a special night, though. I mean, because the show was on, the show was off. Vince was furious that it was on, and you guys had it anyways. Yeah, I don't know the actual, but wasn't it like the first time someone's ran MSG yes. in like 20 years or something like Maybe that? Maybe even more. The first time that somebody other than a McMahon had ran a wrestling show in the garden, like you said, in 20 years, or if it was one in 20 years, it was one out of 50 years. It was a very, very long time. So, yeah, like, you know, that's history making. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, to be able to have my my parents in the crowd and my and that's my, cool. my friends came, and it's just like, it was a cool night. And, yeah. you know, my dad gets to go and brag that his son wrestled. I Madison mean, that's it, Garden. right? Yeah, that's you all know? I care about. It's funny, once you once you get a little like, jaded, it's like, Mass is oh, it's hard to get in there, and it's impossible to park your car and it costs so much for union fees, but throw all that the window. It's the freaking garden. Yeah. It's, it's pretty cool. It's awesome. And uh, it's funny because, you know, Eddie Kingston and I were, were pretty close on, on the Indies. Like he taught me a lot, kind of took me under his wing, which was another reason why I wanted homicide in my faction because homicide was Eddie's mentor. Gotcha. So it was like kind of, you know, paying back the favor, but also learning from mm-hmm. someone that I respected and that I learned from. Right. Eddie had told me before we did MSG, he's like, just do me a favor. Like, when you come out, just look up. And it was just like, okay. So I, like, come out on the ramp. And it's just like this overwhelming feeling of, like, holy shit, this is huge. And then, like, you look up and you see the big dome ceiling and everything. And it's just like, well, that's incredible. <laughs> and so it's like, I'm glad that I, I remembered that and, and did that in – you know that was a, a special. You got to enjoy the moment. Yeah, you know what I mean. You really do, for something like that, especially. Let's talk about New Japan because I think for me, and going there as many times as I as I have, you would be tailor made for for that company. And it seems like you had a fairly good time there. How many how many tours did you do there? Uh, I've only done one full tour. Oh, okay. So I was supposed to do a second, but then I hurt my knee and gotcha. I, I couldn't. Uh, so the first tour I did there was in two thousand nineteen. Yeah, 2019. I did the best of Super Juniors tour as Marty's. Like obviously, oh. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I was in the Super Juniors tour. It is Japan. Who knows? <laughs> yeah. But uh, you know, they have the the tag matches on the off days of the tournament. So I was doing tag matches with Marty, and uh, at the end of Super Juniors, it was kind of this crazy full circle moment. So in 2017, um, my band got Tate got to go tour in japan really yeah we played five shows in japan um it was like two in tokyo and then we played osaka nagoya and somewhere dude else. i have been trying to get fazio to japan for 20 fucking years <laughs> how did you do it i do it it's crazy because like you know a lot of stuff like that being in punk and hardcore it's just like this tight knit circle that like you could just kind of almost make anything happen it's like you know, we didn't make any money, but we didn't. You got to go to Japan. Yeah, they paid for our travel and they paid for our bus and stuff. It's yeah. like the experience alone was everything. Yeah. And, uh, you know, my my wife is like a huge fan of Japanese culture and anime and stuff like that. So we went and did a like 10 day vacation prior to going on tour there. And you're so, the singer in the band, right? I am the singer gotcha. in the band. Yeah. yeah. So I was able to actually train for a couple of days. Rocky helped me 
put me in contact with uh, uh, Kyoko Kimura, mm-hmm. who was Hana Kimura's mother. And I went to the Ice Ribbon Dojo and they had like kind of a mixed class. And I got to train for a couple days there, which was really awesome. And I got to meet them. And then we went to a New Japan show at the Sumo Hall, Ryugoku, and watched uh, Trent and Rocky win the tag mm. tag belts there. So it's like sitting in the crowd, you know, in the on the concrete slabs and stuff, watching that in the arena was like, oh, this is awesome. Like, I would love to be here. Right. Uh, flash forward to that Super Juniors tournament. Um, the tournament's getting towards the end of it. And, you know, the last day, you don't really know what you're doing. It could be like a 10-man tag or whatever. And I asked Rocky, I was like, hey, you know, are, are me and Marty doing anything on the last day? He goes, oh, yeah. Um, I remember we were standing, we were in the Don Quixote that's like across the street from the Dome Hotel. And he's just like casually like getting, a, you know, strong zero or whatever. And he's just like, oh, yeah, uh, you and Marty versus me and Okada. I was like, what? <laughs> <laughs> it's just like that. That Okay. That, I guess that's happening. That's now. great. So it's like I got to wrestle Rocky, who's one of my trainers, in the arena that I watched him win the tag belts against Okada, yeah. who's one of the greatest wrestlers Absolutely. ever. Ever, right. So it's like. It was a crazy, crazy moment. So they must have liked they probably matched you up with Okada a few times just to judge the reaction from the crowd and everything. No, that was. The, but I mean, during that match. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we, you know, it was, that was a crazy thing, you know, calling the match with him. And it's like, it's like, oh, what, what do you want to do here? I was like, uh, I don't know, pile driver? He goes, okay. It's like, <laughs> okay. So, uh, yeah, being able to do that there was unreal. It's a another bucket list moment. You so know? it was just the one tour that you did only one time. Yeah. So then we were supposed to do tag league. Me and PCO were supposed to do tag league. And then I hurt my knee. So gotcha. we had to be off of tag league and then COVID happened. Of course. But it was, a, again, a strange moment in the middle of quarantine. They started doing the new Japan strong shows, which started as like an idea. And it was like, we don't really know where this is going to go. We're it's basically to, American new Japan. Yeah. We're going right? to try to shop it around and see what, what happens. And they had like a, a completely different roster. It was like guys that, you know, I knew but weren't really getting a lot of recognition everywhere else. So it was cool to watch this thing be built from the ground up and to be part of that from the beginning. And, uh, you know, when we were first able to do our first live shows, it was like this is our moment to like show everyone. And mm. now now it's kind of like a touring thing. So it's it's been really, really awesome to watch that and be part of that. Hopefully, you know, when, when the borders open back up, we'll be able to. Oh, yeah. I think we're all waiting for there. that now. Yeah. You know, I think I think an AEW invasion of New Japan would be big money for, oh, for all of us. Yeah. You know, I think in both would, countries. Yeah. I mean, the, the, ma- the matchups in my head, like just thinking <laughs> about this right now are like endless. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. As we start to, to wind down, how did you hook up with, uh, with Malachi? And what company was that in? So I met Malachi in 2000, 
17, I believe. It was either 17 or 16. Um, he was doing Bola, and my friend Andy Williams, who's the butcher here at AEW. Me you and Andy got to put together a band. <laughs> <laughs> a little su- a super group within AEW. Yeah, exactly. That'd be awesome. Yeah. Uh, we... He, he was like, hey, come to Denny's. Like, I didn't go to, to the bowl of that year. And he's like, come to Denny's, like, hang out. And I was like, okay, cool. So it was like 10 minutes from my house. And uh, him and Malachi were eating there. And that's where I met him for the first time. And we just started talking. We kind of hit it off. You know, we have mutual friends. We like mutual stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then from there, we just kind of like, I think Andy might have started a group chat with like all of us. And then we just, it just became a friendship from there. And then he got signed to WWE. Uh, I was at his first match there, uh, the NXT TakeOver. Like, if you watch it back, him and Andrade, uh, you can see me, like, in the front row. Like, <laughs> they had me, like, the friends and family section. <laughs> I was like, oh, I guess. Like, <laughs> friend, 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 giant friend. Yeah, friend, exactly. Friend, yeah. Uh, but that was that was cool to watch him do that and then, you know, see where he got to go from there. And then when he got released, it was, like, kind of – at the same time that, you know, the uncertainty of, of Ring of Honor in my head started happening. And we just kind of had like, you know, this idea of like, what if what if we did this? What if we did the House of Black? Oh, so you had never actually done that prior? No. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, so it was like, you know, this kind of seems like a perfect fit. Like, what do you think about doing, you know, just trying it out? And uh, PWG reached out and was like, hey, would you guys be interested in doing some tag stuff? Mm. And and Malachi was like, yeah, absolutely. Like, let's just see where it goes. And then that just kind of like turned into what it is now. So it was like all these like moments just kind of collided into yeah. one. And it was like, and we were talking about the other night that just this like fun idea that we had as friends are, is now like, you know, it's a thing. And, and that's like, usually how it goes. Yeah. Right. Like you said, you know, when, when you're having fun, that's usually when, yeah. You make the money. Yeah, money this, follows. Yeah. yeah. That's so. the most important lesson that I can say to anybody. You know, if you're enjoying what you're doing, the money will follow. You know, yeah. if you're doing it for the money, it probably won't follow. Yeah. I mean, yeah. And, and you know, that's kind of like when you start making money, it's like you have to kind of check yourself and being like, mm-hmm, if you keep, you know, don't push it. Just keep doing what got you here. Uh, and that's kind of what, you know, I, I live my life by. And like, even with, with music and stuff like that, it's like, you know, God's hate doesn't do a lot, but what we do do is, you know, kind of important. Like Mm -hmm. we'll play bigger shows or we'll play with bigger bands. And it's like, let's not do stuff just for the sake of doing it because then it's like, you know, you're just kind of wearing yourself out and overexposing yourself. Uh, I feel the same with wrestling. It's like, make everything important. You know, every match counts. Right. Uh, I've never been a wrestler that wants to like, phone it in or like you're on a smaller show and you're like, ah, I could just, you know, do whatever. It's like, I, I always want to give the fans what they're expecting. And I feel like up until this point I have. So hopefully I, I continue to do. So. That's a, a fit Finley lesson. You never make the people who paid suffer. Yeah. You know, if there's 10 people, you know, 10 or 10,000, that's a rock and roll thing. Yeah. It doesn't really yeah. matter. Yeah, exactly. Right? And trust me, I've, I've, been, I've been there. <laughs> so in wrestling and, and <laughs> yeah, then, you know, like doing a Lucha show in front of five people and you're like, well, <laughs> let's go do it, guys. Did you ever have any uh, inquiries from WWE at all? I had some talks, you know, I, I, I chatted with Regal uh, a few times. He gave me a great piece of advice. You know, I, I think I talked to him, the Bola of... 2018 
he was in the crowd and I kind of pulled him aside after my match. I was like, you know, do you have any notes for me? And like he, he, we had met a couple times before and he was always very, uh, nice to me. He was always very welcoming yeah, very and like gave, gave me yeah. a lot of great advice and great critiques and stuff. And he, he was like, you know, you're a great wrestler. Like you're obviously going to do great stuff. Like your style is obviously more fit for something like ring of honor at the time or new Japan. He's like, go do all of these things that you want. And after you're done with that, if you want to come to WWE, here's my number. Yeah. So it was like, well, that's that's pretty cool. Yeah. And, you know, like I said, being a person that doesn't want to be in one spot, going to the same place every time, it, it was like, okay, let's see where this takes me. And, you know, as time has progressed, I, WWE just wasn't in my in my sights. I mm -hmm. feel like, you know, the style or, or anything, like, it just wasn't for me. Uh, I love New Japan Pro Wrestling. I feel like it's... Yeah. In in essence, that is like what I want to be as a professional wrestler. And I feel like a lot of that is translated to AEW mm -hmm. now. It's just like the Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So it's like it's it's the perfect fit. And being in AEW is awesome because I get to spend a lot of time with my family still. I get to watch my kids grow up and stuff. Mm -hmm. And it's hard, you know, being a full time guy in Japan. You know, a lot of these guys like yeah. like Tamatanga and, and T, they, they they were there for Chase Owens told me he was there for like three months. Yeah. Because you got to do the two week quarantine. Chase has been there forever. I know. But he said, he's like, this is my job. And I'm yeah. like, oh, I know. But it's like, you know, I, Thomas said, you know, he got to watch his kid walk for the first time over FaceTime. And it's like yeah. stuff like that's hard. Yeah, yeah. It's mentally taxing on you. And, and I feel like, you know, I, I'm very grateful that I, I have the opportunity to still work for New Japan while doing full time AEW right. stuff. It's like the best of both worlds. How did you end up in AEW? Uh, persistence, I guess. Yeah. Uh, you know, I I had met Tony a few years ago. Uh, he knew who I was, and then I feel like just cutting my teeth in Ring of Honor and like meeting the Bucks and meeting a couple other people. It was just like all these pieces kind of fell into place, and then you know, with Malachi joining, it was like kind of the perfect fit he kind of pitched the idea to, to tony and tony liked it a lot and you know i had come out i had talked to him when we all got released from ring of honor i messaged him and was he was like yeah you know let's try to catch up sometime and i was like well i can be anywhere within a few hours and he's like well why don't you come out to indianapolis and minneapolis i was like all right i'll be there so i flew myself out there and we talked and here I am now. That's great. Yeah. yeah. To come up there. Cause it's very easy to deal with Tony. So it, it, it is. It, and, and he's an incredibly kind person too. It, it's crazy. Like knowing what he's involved in on a day-to-day -day basis between like oh my gosh. wrestling and football and soccer. soccer. It's like <laughs> my head would explode. So it's like the fact that he has even two minutes to talk to another human is crazy. Yeah, right. Uh, but yeah, it, it's been a really awesome experience. Everyone here is very cool and welcoming and it's like everywhere you turn there's someone that you can learn from it's like you know you or dean malenko or big show or mark henry it's like anywhere is like you can go to someone and get a different piece mm -hmm. of advice or a different opinion and uh you know that's what i want the most is like when i come out of a match 
I don't want to know what I did good. I want to know what I did bad. What can I do better? Or what can I do better? And it's interesting, too, like when you have guys like Mark Henry and Big Show to talk to, and they probably see you uh, in a lot of, a different way because you're a big guy. Yeah. So when they give you advice, it's like big guy to big guy. Like I can't give you big guy to big guy advice, but they can. Yeah. Right? And, and that's like something that I, I've been lacking, I feel like, in, yeah. in wrestling. It's like there's not a lot of, you know, big guys of that caliber – that have been to that level that are able to kind of tell me, you know, you should do this or you should do that, or maybe try this. It's like, and that's, that's what I want. So it's, mm. it's, it's, that's like a cool opportunity that I get here that I didn't get anywhere else. Really. Last few questions for you. you and I always love hearing these. You, you mentioned traveling up and down the roads with the different bands. What's the worst gig you ever played? Does one stand out for you? Uh, Ours was opening for the Murder Junkies, not Gigi Allen and the Murder Junkies, just the Murder Junkies. I'm like, who the f put Fozzie in the Murder Junkies? Savannah, Georgia, there's 50 skinheads in the crowd. And there's, oh, was, God. It was awful. Uh, I mean, there's been a, a few bad shows. I'm just, I mean, there's just been shows where like entire fights break out that spill into the street and then the show gets shut down. It's just like, but then, you know, then there's the, the ones where you like show up and like you said, you're kind of in the middle of nowhere, and it's like there is ten people here. Yeah, uh, I think maybe maybe the worst show, which is kind of funny, we were playing an after show for this fest called United Blood, and the the Where was after that at? it was in Richmond, Virginia, gotcha. which is like usually like we're on fire there. Yeah, and the show started at like eleven thirty, and there was only three bands, but the second band took forever to set up. They played forever. And it's like, by the time we went on, it was like 2.30 in the morning. Mm -hmm. And it's like, these kids have been at, at a fest all day. Yeah. And they were going the next day, too. So it was like, <laughs> there was probably like 30 people there. And they are just like, shot. And yeah. it's like, this sucks. Yeah. Uh, we're, it's the middle of the morning. And uh, we are playing aggressive music. This is not what anybody wants yeah. right now. <laughs> at 2.30 in the morning, right? Yeah. And yeah. So that was like, that was one of the worst ones. And uh yeah, you know, the, we could go on about I, if I really thought about it, I'm sure, sure plenty would come to mind of, of weird stuff that's, that's happened. Because the hardcore scene always, always intrigues me because it is, like you said, there's a there's a world where people will live and die for it. But it's it's more of a of a direct demographic, yeah. you know, like a family demographic. But there's not tons and tons of people in that world. Yeah, well, which is kind of awesome to be part of AEW now and, and like exposing, you know, a whole nother group of people to this type of music and like you know me and malachi are able to like show them bands through our wrestling like you know our entrance music my entrance music is is my band his mm. entrance music is you know a kind of a, an obscure uh death metal like doom band uh my best friend colin wrote the music for our tag team entrance it's like all these we have very many different sure songs within our group that like people are now able to be like oh what's that and like maybe they'll check out my mm -hmm. band and then they'll find you know a whole list of bands that they're into now and that's like when i was a kid that's that's what i did you know i saw guys like the undertaker and i saw that he was like tattooed and so i was like oh this is cool yeah this is like yeah and that's what got me into wrestling and then from wrestling i got into music and it was just like I mean, Ultimate Warrior back in the late 80s was the the antithesis of rock and, and, well, more heavy metal and wrestling. Oh, yeah. Like, all the metal guys love Warrior because he had long hair, came to the ring to a pounding double bass riff, 
and look like he was insane, and then you know, wrestled for 30 seconds, and that'd be it. But all the guys, like Zach Wilde to this day, Jim's Hel- James Helwig, that's my guy, he's the, he's the greatest. But there's a connection between rock and roll and wrestling to this day even still. Yeah, 100%. I mean, you know, and, and that was like a lot of stuff that I could take from that world to, to wrestling was the energy and the, the emotion and, like, just being able to project that. Like, if you're a hardcore front man and you're just kind of like standing there with a the mic in your hand and yeah it's no one gonna give it a doesn't shit. Work. you gotta jump around you gotta yep. move you gotta look crazy like so the facials and everything was like natural for me to like kind of like look at someone like i'm gonna kill them and <laughs> yeah. it's, like, it's part of the scene yeah <laughs> last two questions for you what are your plans here in aw9 only you've only been here for a few weeks what's kind of your overall goal uh you know i think with house of black we really have something different to offer you know, I don't want to really compare it to anything directly, but it it has like a very, you know, ministry of darkness aura around it. Mm-hmm. And that was like something that latched onto me as a kid, like watching all these like crazy looking right. people and like, you know, crucifying <laughs> Stone Cold. It wasn't a cross. <laughs> it, wasn't it was a- an Undertaker symbol. <laughs> That's uh, what we were told. But that was like, you know. That was stuff that was like, this is awesome. Like yeah. that was stuff that like grabbed me as as a kid and, and was like, this is what I want in wrestling. This is what I want, you know, in movies mm-hmm. and music and everything. So to kind of be able to to put our spin on something like that and be the the darker element of wrestling that I feel like has been kind of missing for quite some time, uh, is is awesome. And and I feel like there's a lot to work with and there's a lot to grow with. And um, you know, I think that Malachi is one of the best wrestlers on the planet currently. Great character. So um, being able to learn from him and being able to team with him, I feel like our chemistry works well together. Our styles are very different, but they work in unison. You know, he has more of a kickboxing fighter style where mine is just more like brutish, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, forearms and chops and slams and stuff like that. But they, they are, they're, different types of violence that work within the same realm mm-hmm. um but yeah I, I think that house of black has just begun here in, in aew last question for you. what's your favorite match that you ever had does one of them stand out more than others oh man favorite match there's there's a few that that stand out uh obviously that that match with rocky and okada for many different reasons right. might be one of my favorite matches um I got to wrestle Kenta in New Japan, which was like, that was a bucket list moment. Sure. Um, I had a match with Tom Lawler in during quarantine. And like these were, both of these matches, Kenta and Tom Lawler, were in front of no people. So, so it's like, we had these like 20 minute matches where we're like, I hope somebody likes this. <laughs> yeah. But they, it's hard to tell. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think maybe currently my favorite match, I got to wrestle uh, Tamahiro Ishii on a new Japan live show. And that was, that was an awesome moment in Japan or here, here, here in, gotcha. in, uh, it was actually in Los Angeles. Oh, right, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But, uh, that was like, you know, someone that I looked up to and, and watched a lot when I was training. It was like, that was kind of a dream match for me. It was a match that was supposed to happen pre COVID and then got slated. Uh, so to be able to kind of, yeah. do that and like have a really good match against him uh was awesome and it's like you know I, I came to the back and you know guys like josh barnett and like shibata were like good job and it's like well these guys don't like anything so yeah. <laughs> for them to say say it's, it's yeah, awesome yeah, yeah. 
Well, that's great, man. I'm looking forward to many more awesome matches from you, and it's good to have you. And like I said, we're going to do the Andy Williams, uh, <laughs> Brody King, Chris Jericho jam. We've got Frankie Kazarian to play bass. We just need a drummer. Uh, Chris Dickinson plays drums. Well, there you go. <laughs> we'll, we'll open the forbidden band door as well. Yeah, there we go. Thanks, dude.